0: Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.
1: Between 1908 and 1938, 130 young Anglo-Indians were sent to New Zealand. They were the mixed-race children of British tea planters and Indian women, raised in a Presbyterian mission school in northeast India and sent as workers to families all over New Zealand. Separated from their parents and their places of birth, the Kalampong kids went on to blend into local communities and seldom spoke of their Indian heritage. My name is Jane McCabe, I'm a historian, and my grandmother was one of the Kalampong immigrants. In this series, I'll be discussing the Kalampong scheme and the journeys of many descendants to uncover their hidden family histories with my colleague Pauline Martins. Along the way, we'll be talking about some images from my new book, which brings together photographs from family collections all over New Zealand to tell an amazing visual
0: story. The photographs we refer to are all available on the Otago Access Radio website. So Jane, we finished last time talking about the Kalampong immigrants being settled in New Zealand, looking to the future and being busy with their own growing families, but also the fact that they often didn't want to talk about their Indian background, even to their own children.
1: Yes, it's amazing, isn't it? So um, A lot of people that I talk to about this scheme can't believe that they haven't heard of it before. Well, for me, I always say I'd never heard of it and my own grandmother was one of them. Um, So this is something that as descendants, when we've had our Get-togethers, we we think about this a lot, and we talk about this a lot. Um, so we do understand that there was a, a stigma about having Indian heritage, um, and that there was trauma involved with that. Um, you know, that sense of abandonment, of being sent to an institution. But it does seem quite uh, extreme to us the extent that some of them have gone to to completely conceal. Uh, the way that they came to New Zealand, anything about where they grew up, um, and even the fact that they had Indian ancestry. Uh, So it seems to us that they've, they've gone to considerable lengths to actually conceal that Uh, but sometimes in the process that's what's made us so curious so if they had said a little bit about it uh, maybe we would have been less curious but the fact that they were so reluctant to talk to us about it at all has I think prompted many of us to try and find
0: out what the story was uh, in later years. The book makes it clear that many descendants have discovered this hidden family history often after much effort Yes,
1: so there's lots of
0: wonderful stories about the way that the Kalampong
1: connection was eventually discovered. So a lot of people like me have had very little to go on, and we just think India is a big place. Um, We often don't have uh, names even to follow up. Uh, It seems like such a mysterious kind of thing that they came from India to New Zealand, we don't really know where to start. And the key thing for all of us is once we find that word kalampong, this very distinctive word, uh, it tends to open up quite quickly because it doesn't take much research now online uh, to find Dr Graham's
0: homes uh, and that um, that kalampong connection. As we learnt in the first episode, um, that's what happened to you. It was a photograph with the word Kalampong written on it that led you to Kalampong. Yes, that's right. So my father uh, gave me this photograph that had Kalampong school written on the envelope
1: uh, and then it was, it was reasonably straightforward from there. Um, but for some descendants it's taken a really long time and a lot of research before they've got to that, that key Kalampong word. So a great example is that, uh, a great example of that is Yvonne Gale, who was a descendant of uh, Jean Mackay. So Jean Mackay was her grandmother, and she came to New Zealand in 1911 with her brother John. So we have this wonderful photo of the two of them en route to New Zealand in 1911. Uh, So this journey was one of several stages. So here they're on a stopover in Singapore, and it's this beautiful photo of them uh, having a rickshaw ride. And Singapore on the way, so this is this is quite a different photo of um, young people coming to Kalampong. So there are a lot of photos that are taken of um, in the later period of groups um, dressed in uniforms before they come to New Zealand. But Jean and John Mackay came a little bit earlier in 1911. Uh, Their trip was funded by their father so they travelled first class and so this is a good example of a photograph that uh, was portraying the acceptable side or even the side of this family history that was something to be proud of because this was evidence of that tea planting heritage that privileged upbringing uh, and travelling in a nice way you know in these beautiful clothes to New Zealand and um, Uh, It's typical in the way that it shows us uh, the older age. So um, these people, they weren't children when they came to New Zealand. They were of a working age. So Jean and John Mackay were of uh, a typical age. And everything else about their journey was the same as other Kalampong immigrants. So they arrived at Port Chalmers and they were um, met at the port um, by their employers and taken to Owaka in South Otago to work there. So this photo was on Jean Mackay's mantelpiece later in life, and so Yvonne Gale, who I've already mentioned was her granddaughter, was um, intrigued by this photo when she was younger. So this is a good example of a photo giving a clue to a background and making you curious about that background. Um, And Yvonne actually credits this photo with giving her the persistence to keep looking into this family history for some years before she discovered the Kalampong connection in British Library, actually. So she found uh, baptismal certificates for Jean and John Mackay uh, that happened at Kalampong in the British Library. And so, as i said, once you have that Kalampong connection, uh, you find Dr Graham's homes, and Yvonne was able to write to the homes and retrieve a copy of uh, Jean and John personal file at
0: Callum Pong. Thank goodness for church records <laughs> Indeed <laughs> It's interesting that they didn't talk about it, but they still had these photos on display. That's
1: right. So as I've said, there was an acceptable side of this story and a not acceptable side. And so this was the same in my own family where Lorna never spoke about this background at all. We had no idea that she was part of a scheme to come to New Zealand. Um, but so she lived in a, in a little cottage in Pine Hill, a, a suburb right on the outskirts of Dunedin uh, and in that little cottage there was evidence of her tea planting background all around so there were polo trophies um, from her father um, uh, hunting trophies and um, if we look back to one of the earlier photos of him, of Egerton Peters, um, from an earlier episode where we see him on his veranda, so some of those objects in that photo uh, are now still up at Pine Hill in Dunedin, so they're really uh, amazing story of um, the journey that those objects and the photographs
0: have made as well. And this is something that most people can relate to, Many families have photographs or objects that help them engage with parts of their family history. Yes, that's right. So I'm always keen to portray the Kalampong
1: story as something uh, distinct, and it's quite an extraordinary story, but it's also one that I think everyone can relate to in some way because uh, this is one of the main ways that people, I think, engage with their family history and become curious about it is through looking at old albums. And sometimes when the story has been lost, that's a really good way to engage with your family history because it does make you curious uh, and you can speculate about who those people might be or what they were like um, by how they looked in the photos and that sort of thing. So it is something that they have in common that I think most families have in common. But I suppose what I'd say there is for the Kalampung people, the photos have even more value because sometimes the only clue that people will have to their entire family background on you know one side of their family
0: is one photo so those photos can be very very precious. Going to Kalampong must be a special experience have other descendants been there? Yes they have and that was uh, another thing that was uh, a, a big
1: surprise in my PhD research was how many New Zealanders have made that trip to Kalampong it is quite amazing uh, the number of us who have made that journey uh, who have been through this process of discovery come back with our family's files um, and then uh, not really knowing what to, where to go from there. So this was very helpful for me when I was doing my PhD because often when I contacted people, they had made that trip, they had um, retrieved the file and they were very happy to share their file with me so that their family's story could become part of that collective story that I was looking at in my PhD. Um, But yes, so people often talk about the experience of being in Kalampong uh, as being very moving, Um, and again it makes us wonder at their ability to not talk about it because it's such an interesting place it's quite a beautiful place, it's very different from New Zealand so we get to experience that world Uh, the great thing about Dr Graham's home still being open is that it's hardly changed in terms of the buildings, so we're able to go into their cottage where they lived, so my grandmother was in Woodburn Cottage for 15 years, so I was able to go in there um, and to imagine what that experience would have been like for her Um, and that's something that other descendants have talked about as well, so just that the the fact of being there
0: um, and being able to reflect on their early lives Just coming back to the photographs, it's like they have a survival story of their own especially the ones from India that have survived and been passed into family collections in New Zealand. Absolutely so When I first was seeing all of these
1: photos in um, New Zealand collections, I guess I focused on the photos themselves and what they were able to tell us, what they depicted, which was great. But then you also think, how is it that all of these photos have come to be in New Zealand households? So when we think of photos from the plantations, that speaks to those ongoing connections between the tea planters and their children in New Zealand. Uh, Likewise with the objects from tea plantations that have uh, ended up in New Zealand. And also the same with the photos of the school at Kalampung. Because the way that some of the Kalampung people have been able to put together the Albums of photos of the school in Kalimpong is from the ongoing corresp- correspondence with the teachers there uh, and with other um, friends who haven't left the school yet. So, that exchange of photos, um, you know, for that part of it, that's the way that the photos have ended up in New Zealand.
0: Most of these stories have been discovered by descendants, so what happened when they didn't have any? Yes, that's right. So all of
1: these photos have been passed down um, to descendants of Kalampong people. But of course, not all of the Kalampong people married. As I mentioned in a previous episode, a number of the women, for example, stayed uh, living with New Zealand families and being uh, domestic help for their whole lives, and they didn't have children. So when I was doing my PhD, as well as meeting with all of these descendants around New Zealand, I became particularly concerned with those people who didn't have children, because who was there to tell their stories? Um, And so we've got the second photo that we've got for today's episode um, is a particularly poignant story um, of an employer family who who rediscovered this Kalampong connection. So, the photograph is of Richard May, um, who was an early immigrant to New Zealand, uh, and he was one of many Kalimpong men who signed up for war service. So, they were very keen to go to war and to prove their worth as imperial citizens. Um, so, Richard May was originally placed in Southland. He worked with a number of um, farming families in Southland before signing up for war. Now the war records are really interesting for the men because they have to put details of their ancestry and of their families and so that really shows that some of them didn't have any connections mm. with their Indian families but some of them did so they, those records were quite revealing. Now Richard was one of the ones who knew very little about his Indian background and he uh, listed his next of kin as one of those farming families that he had worked for so the Harrison family uh, he listed um, William Harrison as his next of kin and he, he stated that relationship was friend so he'd obviously established a nice relationship with this family. Now, when Richard was um, first serving overseas, he was in Egypt, and he, he wrote this amazing letter back to the family where he thanks them for all of uh, their support. Um, so he writes to William's wife, um, and it really speaks to the relationship that they had developed. Now, unfortunately, uh, Richard was killed in action Um, in Gallipoli soon afterwards. So because the Harrison family were named as his next of kin, his personal effects, so his war medals um, and his personal belongings, were all sent to the Harrisons in Southland. Now, the family retained those objects, so the letters that were written back, they had photos of him and his um, personal effects from the war were kept, and they're still kept in the family The interesting thing is the Kalampong story was lost, so they just thought of him as an Indian worker. Uh, And it was through uh, one of the many serendipitous things that have happened while I've been doing this research, but their great-great-granddaughter, Michelle Sim, learned about my research and went to my website, uh, as a lot of people do, because I have a list on there of all of the people who came from Kalampong to New Zealand. Uh, She found Richard's name and got in touch with me and so we were able to reconnect that story. So yes, I suppose this is a very poignant story to think of Richard May's story that he's born on a plantation, he has that time in Kalampong He has his uh, life in Southland working on a farm. Then he goes to war, his life ends, and uh, the remains of his life really end up with a a family in Southland. Uh, And so it's very nice that that story has been uh, retold all of these years later. And there was a romantic element? Yes, there actually was. So the family story was that. William's daughter, Carrie, was quite keen on Richard um, and but that was discouraged because he was because of his Indian ancestry, so he's very much accepted as a worker, but it shows those boundaries around you know how far they would want those relationships to go. but uh, we think that it was probably Carrie who was responsible for keeping his things.
0: Yeah that seems likely yeah. yes, what a moving story. yeah.
1: And I'm sure you could share many more. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Yes, I would say that all of the families that I've been in contact with um, have wonderful records. um, And I think any of their stories would make an amazing novel. There's your next project, eh? (laughs) Jane? Yes, that's right. (laughs) But so, as I say in the book, this is an ever-unfolding story. So right until uh, last week, and I, I continue to receive new contacts um, through my website from people who are just discovering this part of their family history now. Uh, and I'm wow. sure that someone listening to this podcast is probably having that experience. It seems like every time uh, I go public with this story, um, it will lead to someone uh,
0: rediscovering that part of their family history. So it's a wonderful project and I'm sure those people and for anyone interested in New Zealand history this new photo book will be a wonderful resource I still can't quite believe I've never heard of it before (laughs) now (laughs) thank you for sharing with us in this podcast
1: thanks Pauline I hope everyone's enjoyed learning about it Uh, and my hope would be uh, that this word kalampong is one that people will remember I'm sure they will You've been listening to the Kalampong Kids podcast. To listen to other episodes in this series, please go to the Otago Access Radio website at www.oar.org.nz. If you would like to know more about the Kalampong Kids, you can visit my website at www.kalampongkids.org.nz. My new book is called Kalampong Kids, The New Zealand Story in Pictures, It is available at all good bookstores or through the Otago University Press website.
0: Or FM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on Or FM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.